It's Tuesday, May 30th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the White House and Republican leaders came to a deal on America's debt ceiling over the weekend. But that deal is getting some pretty mixed reviews this morning and might not pass Congress. So we'll talk about what is in that deal and what comes next. Second, we've got a bunch of updates to talk about from previous briefs. The first is an update on that story I told you about regarding Chinese grave robbers in the South China Sea. Right, They're taking metal from sunken World War II ships that, unfortunately, still have bodies inside of them. Well, I've got some good news to share with you on that horrible story. Next, an update on the gang crackdown in the country of El Salvador. I've got some very good news from that nation, plus a reminder of why good news there is good news for us here in America, too. Lastly, an update on America's wheat production. So if you recall, there is a terrible drought hitting the Midwest, and that is hitting wheat crops. Well, some good news regarding a future water project for that region, plus good news out of the Ohio River Basin that could mean lower prices for you at the grocery store. Later, we close out the podcast with a great listener question about morality. Specifically, how does a CIA officer, with a moral compass anyway, spend a career lying and manipulating people? Which is a very fair and good question. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a debt deal. Well, maybe. Joe Biden and his negotiators at the White House announced over the weekend that they had reached a key deal in principle with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So the deal that they reached is all focused on the raising of the debt ceiling, which, as listeners know, is the amount that the federal government can ultimately borrow to pay its bills. And without a new debt ceiling deal, folks, we hit that $31.4 trillion limit probably in the next two to four weeks. And if so, we run a much higher risk of defaulting on our debt. So let's talk about this new debt deal that came out over the weekend and discuss what comes next on Capitol Hill with it. So here's what we know about this 99-page agreement. As reported by CBS News, Bloomberg News, The Wall Street Journal, Axios, and PBS NewsHour. So first, both sides have agreed to increase the debt ceiling beyond this $31.4 trillion level. But here's what's interesting. The deal calls for no new debt ceiling at all, at least for the next two years. Now, you might be wondering, oh dear, uh, does that mean that D.C. can just sort of go hog wild spending whatever they'd like for the next couple of years? Well, yes and no. But here's what supporters of this deal would ultimately point to. So there's a cap on military spending at 3% over each of the next two years. And then for other non-military spending, there are also additional spending caps like no increases this year and and only 1% next year. But after that, all bets are off. All right, spending can go wherever DC wants it to go. So if that seems a little bit confusing, let me just boil it down for you in very simple terms. In fact, it's how Speaker McCarthy described the deal on Sunday. Quote, we will let the government grow with this deal, but at a slower rate. End quote. 
Okay, well, let's actually pause there because that is really important, right? This deal means that the U.S. government is going to spend more than it takes in, right? This deal embraces debt, right? This deal is not about cutting overall spending or even working towards a, a balanced budget, right? This deal is just about embracing debt, perhaps at just a slightly slower pace, all right? Well, then that begs the question, how much more debt are we talking about on top of this $31.4 trillion that we already owe? Well, there is some debate about the exact number. I've seen estimates of around $4 trillion over the next two years. And if that's true, economists, uh, in fact, with the Congressional Budget Office, have forecasted that America will soon reach a $50 trillion national debt, probably by the year 2033. Now, before I move on to my opinion and analysis about that, there are three other details of this deal that we should definitely discuss, and that's because they are getting a fair amount of media attention, and you should sort of understand what the fuss is all about regarding each. So first, you're probably going to be hearing about, uh, well, at least the White House and some Republicans saying that this debt deal is going to save America $2 trillion. Ah, but we need to be very careful here because they're playing a little bit of a game. And to help us understand why, I want you to imagine that you are going to charge, let's say, $100 to your credit card. But then you decide to only charge $98, right? And then you tell your wife or husband that you just saved the family $2. And, well, I suppose that's technically true, but you're still charging $98. And in this case, with this debt deal... The U.S. government is going to be deficit spending this $100, originally anyway, and now it's only going to spend $98. Again, deficit spending. So I'll let you decide if that is something to celebrate or accurate when they say, ah, $2 million or $2 trillion rather, saved. All right, the second thing that you are probably going to be hearing a lot in the media is that some Republicans are upset about this debt deal because they had actually expected Speaker McCarthy to secure some pretty serious cuts to overall spending, right? The goal was, at least in their eyes, to drastically lower our annual deficit and work towards a balanced budget. And that just did not happen here. Also, some media outlets are reporting that Republicans are angry about the lack of cuts to the Internal Revenue Service, or IRS. So as listeners might know, the last Congress gave the IRS $80 billion to help buy new computer systems and to hire thousands to tens of thousands of new agents and auditors. Well, Speaker McCarthy didn't do much on this IRS front. He only secured about $1 to $2 billion of cuts to the IRS, which is nowhere close to the goal of $80 billion. In fact, the amount, the $1 to $2 billion, is so small, relatively speaking, that according to Reuters news service, the White House and the IRS are both saying this morning that the cut is largely manageable and that plans for the expansion of the IRS will continue as expected. Which takes us to our third media story that you're probably going to be hearing about over the next two to three days. Some Democrats are pretty cranky about this deal, too. A couple reasons for their outrage. First, they're angry that people who receive food stamps or SNAP as it is now called. So more of those folks are going to have to work, namely those aged 18 to 54, right? And that used to be before the deal, 18 to 49. All right, well, that said, 
Democrats are only mm, sort of angry about this, and that's because Biden got four new exemptions from this new work rule, including that you can be exempted if you are homeless or claim that you're homeless. Next, some Democrats are also angry about something that, well, it might sound kind of boring, but is it is very, very important to them, certainly, and to all of us. And it, it has to do with dirty green energy. All right, so here's why. Biden and McCarthy agreed to this uh, sort of new streamlined process to permit energy projects. And that will benefit lots of energy projects from solar and wind farms to, critically, oil and gas projects too. And that's why they're angry. As Biden and his party have often said, they want to put uh, traditional forms of energy out of business. But this new deal around permits, well, that's going to allow for these new oil and gas projects to continue. In other words, it's going to delay their goal of bankrupting the entire industry. So, my friends, there you have it. That is the big debt ceiling deal, more or less. So to summarize, this new deal is not about reducing America's debt or getting us closer to a balanced budget. In fact, it does very little to avoid hitting that $50 trillion in national debt in about 10 years' time. However, what this deal does do is slow the growth towards that $50 trillion in national debt, maybe by a year or two. Well, what do you think about this new deal? Well, whether you like it or not... Congress is going to vote on it this week, and here's how that's going to work, plus how you can get involved, right? There's going to be a committee vote today in the House of Representatives, and then as soon as tomorrow, the whole of the House will vote on it. So that means, my friends, if you have strong feelings on this, the time to weigh in is now, right? Go to house.gov on the internet, choose your state, find your district and representative, and then send them a note or make some phone calls and tell them how you feel. But let's just say that the House passes the deal this week, right? Then it's going to go on to the Senate, which here again, if you have strong feelings about this, well, the time to call and email your senator is now. Go to senate.gov, pick your state and email and call that person as soon as possible. And I say that because if you and a bunch of other people make a lot of noise on this, it does actually stand a chance of mattering. And that's because there is some pretty serious doubt about what the House and the Senate will ultimately do with this deal. In other words, how they're going to vote, right? Biden and Speaker McCarthy are pretty sure that they can get this through, but there are some key politicians that haven't locked down their support one way or the other. So all in all, we could see some wild twists and turns this week in Washington, D.C. And because of that uncertainty, I'm only going to pivot briefly from facts and data this morning to my opinion and assessment. And I'd like to go back to something I said earlier. This entire debt ceiling fight was largely based on this concern. The U.S. national debt will reach $50 trillion by the year 2033. And just as a reminder, that's according to the Congressional Budget Office. But this latest deal does virtually nothing to change that number or that year. Okay, well, why is that bad? Why do we care about a $50 trillion national debt? Well, back on April 12th, we discussed this issue as it related to the strength of the U.S. dollar. And if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and refresh your memories. It's about 10 minutes long at the end of that episode. But one of the key points that we covered is that 
the more debt that you have, and this is frankly true in your personal life, but the more debt that you have, the harder it becomes to service that debt or pay down that debt. And in part, that's because the interest payment on that balance, the $50 trillion in this case, well, paying that interest becomes increasingly difficult not to not only pay that interest, but also keep paying for all the other stuff that you love from, you know, the military to roads and schools, right? So that's why for me, party politics aside, it's really disappointing and frankly alarming that so few people in Washington, D.C. seem to care about adding more debt to our balance sheet. Or if I could use the words of, of, of uh, Speaker McCarthy, leaders on both sides of the aisle are actually okay with growing the size of government. I mean, it's just an argument or a debate about the, the speed of it. And to me, that's not a victory, right? The additional debt that they're agreeing to, which again is soon to be $50 trillion, that amount of money, putting that on the shoulders of future generations of Americans, that's not fair. And that's not right. But that's just me. As always, reasonable people can disagree. So all in all, let's see what happens this week. Meanwhile, if you do make some phone calls or emails, good luck. Keep me posted. I'd love to know what they say. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. And then in about a minute, we'll be right back. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Ark Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with Ark Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com. Again, that's ARC like Noah's ARC. And buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code RIGHT, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code RIGHT, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards good news. Or, to be perfectly accurate, some updates from America and around the world on things that we've discussed previously. And, well, all in all, it's pretty good news. So first, let's talk about some Chinese grave robbers. To refresh our memories, back on May 25th, we spoke about a Chinese salvage vessel operating in the South China Sea that was dredging up old World War II ships with, horrifically, the bodies of dead sailors inside. And they were doing this so that they could resell the, the steel and the copper from those old ships. Now, incredibly, these Chinese companies that are doing this, these salvage operators, have been doing so for over 10 years. And that's despite protests from the U.S., British, and Australian governments, all complaining to Beijing, which did nothing. Well, the Associated Press reported yesterday that the Malaysian government had seized an unnamed Chinese vessel in the area with metal and equipment that was originally from a World War II-era ship. But it's unclear 
if this new detained Chinese ship is the same grave robber that we talked about previously named the Chuan Hong 68. So I'm going to keep watching this one and give you another update as I learn more. But at least for now, one of these Chinese scavenger vessels has been detained and stopped. Well, at least for the moment. Next up, let's move ourselves from Asia this morning to the Latin American country of El Salvador, where we've got some pretty important news on that nation. But first, let's refresh our memories about this place. As we discussed back on April 20th, El Salvador has long been the leading murderer capital of the world. And that violence was caused by cartels and gangs who drove the citizens of that nation into either poverty or to flee for other countries around the world, like the United States, which, of course, has contributed to our migration crisis. So about a year ago, the president of that country, last name Bukele, launched a crackdown on the gangs and cartels in his country. And that led to over 65,000 people being arrested. Well, the result of that effort was the crime has dropped dramatically. Right? Neighborhoods that were formerly gang-controlled have been returned to the people. Right? Parks have reopened, schools are operating, businesses are flourishing. And also, there's this, as reported by BBC News. Houses that had been occupied by gang members and used for some pretty terrible things like murders and torturing, well, those houses have been cleaned up, rehabbed and are now starting to be turned over to the poor people of that country. So the exact number of homes to be rehabbed is for now in the hundreds, but the total to be eventually rehabilitated is probably going to be in the thousands, right? President Bukele expects that project to move forward in the next number of months to upwards of a couple of years. And that would certainly be of benefit to his people, including those who were thinking about leaving for America or otherwise. So with that, let me briefly pivot from facts and data this morning to my analysis and opinion. So as listeners know, we spend a lot of time talking about illegal migration here on The Right Report because of the profound impacts that it has on this country and its future. And one piece that we've talked about is what is driving this crisis. And one, of course, is the issue of lawlessness in these countries throughout Central America. So the question is whether this new law and order in El Salvador will ultimately last, and if so, the extent to which that changes the thinking of its citizens, right? Perhaps they're going to stay home and rebuild their country. And if so, that would be pretty amazing for America too, because it would take one set of illegal migrants off of our table that we have to deal with. So that's what I'm going to be watching for, right? How this peace and prosperity in El Salvador eventually holds or not, and then ultimately how that affects migration flows. I'll keep you posted on that data one way or the other. Lastly, we've also spoken too uh, when we discuss El Salvador about how these gang crackdowns are absolutely working, but they come with two costs. Right? First, constitutional rights are being suspended by the Bukele government. Right? They're arresting people at will and without accessing, well, attorneys and such. Right? And that type of power, while it is definitely effective for now, it can be corrupting. And that would be pretty bad for that country in the medium to long term. So I'm going to be watching for that too. The other challenge is how long these gang members eventually get locked up for. Because when El Salvador did this in the past, in other words, these, these crackdowns, eventually these men get out, right? And the lawlessness comes roaring back. And along with it, lawlessness, not just in that country, but eventually that touches here in the United States, certainly with migration patterns. 
But look, putting those things aside, it is fair to say that it is good news. Obviously, the crime rates are dramatically down in El Salvador and that the people are getting their cities back and that the poorest people of that country are getting rehabilitated homes of former gang and cartel members. All right, we're going to count that as progress. Finally, this morning, we've got some news here in the United States to talk about, and it has to do with our friends in the Midwest and ultimately the prices that you pay at the grocery store. But let's step back for a moment and talk about the briefs that we've covered regarding the pretty terrible drought in the states of Kansas, Oklahoma, and northern Texas, right? It's the worst drought that we've seen in over 100 years in that region. Well, unfortunately, the drought continues this morning. U.S. wheat farmers in that area are abandoning their wheat crops at rates not seen since 1917. Well, I've got two updates for you on this. The the first is that farmers, ranchers, and state governments in the region are looking at another solution to this crisis. As the Wall Street Journal is reporting, they're looking at building a massive new canal system and pumping system that would bring water from the Missouri River and send it to western Kansas and Oklahoma. Now, this idea has been around for around 40 years, give or take, but the snag has long been the price tag with an updated estimate of, well, 15 to $20 billion, which, for what it's worth, is about three months of support to Ukraine. So as that idea percolates and gets debated in the region, we have some other news to talk about from our agricultural friends to the east of that area in the Ohio River Valley. As Bloomberg News reports this morning, farmers in Illinois, Ohio, and Indiana are recording some pretty strong wheat crops this season. Things are looking good due to lots of good rain. And that's been good for their soft and hard red wheat. And for folks unaware, the latter is used to make things like cakes and cookies and biscuits. So more supply in the Ohio River Valley of that stuff means more supply for companies and buyers, which ultimately should bring down or dampen price pressures on the things that you buy at the grocery store. So all in all, our friends in Kansas, Oklahoma, and northern Texas continue to struggle. But let's see about this canal idea. Meanwhile, we are celebrating all of the great news coming out of the Ohio Valley this morning because they are picking up the slack. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now. And we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. We had a great conversation on Friday with the entire show dedicated to your questions from immigration to how we best reform the CIA to how, well, this was interesting, how single-parent homes could be driving crime in big cities. Well, one of you wrote in afterwards with a a pretty thoughtful follow-up question, and I wanted to answer it because I thought it was just so great. right, Keith, who is an American living in Canada, he wrote in and asked me this. How do good moral people, including people of faith, work at the CIA, knowing that their entire professional lives will require them to deceive and manipulate other people. Right? How do you deal with that morally? So Keith, I got a piece of advice about this issue from an old time officer and, and we discussed this issue of morality and how to deal with the uncomfortableness of the job. And he told me, deal with it, well, like a light switch, right? When Uncle Sam asks you to do your job, all right, do the lying and the stealing and such, Right, switch on your training, 
right? Protect your country, recruit the spies and steal the secrets. But then when you come home or you go to the office, you switch it off. And he was right. That was the way to deal with it. You compartmentalized. But I'll tell you, even with that advice, it wasn't easy. I'll give you an example. I was working on a case that involved recruiting somebody who I actually enjoyed very much. It was a foreign fellow who not only had great information, in other words, intelligence, he was just a good man. And I was so honored to be able to work with him and eventually recruit him. But I felt pretty terrible about this case at one point. Right? He was telling me some very personal information that left him very vulnerable. And he told me everything that he did as a trusted friend. But then I would write it all down. I'd send it back to headquarters. And that made me feel pretty gross. Even though I had to do it and it was my job, I would turn the switch on and off. Ultimately, though, it just left me pretty darn uncomfortable. And I remember talking to that old fella that I'd mentioned earlier, the old timer, and I wanted his counsel on this feeling and, and what he would do. And he said to me, Brian, I am glad that you feel gross about this part of the job. You should always feel a little bit of guilt and disgust, you know, for lying and, and deceiving and manipulating. It's not normal, right? It, it shouldn't be. And the moment that you stop feeling gross, quit the job because you're, you're losing your moral compass, right? You're, you're losing your humanity. So Keith, that's how good people do the dirty business of espionage. It should always feel a little bit wrong, even if the reasons you're doing it are right. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.